Wine Monk Arizona Wine Podcast by Cody Vladimir Burkett. Welcome to a fun episode. Well, they're all kind of fun, really. Let's be honest, it involves lots of drinking and lots of talking and talking about drinking, drinking about talking. Episode of the Arizona Wine Monk. I'm here with uh, my friend Elizabeth Creaker. Cracker. Cracker. I don't know why I always <laughs> mispronounce that. You're in good company. <laughs> You really are. I also love how the minute we start recording, a car pulls up in this abandoned street, the first car we've seen all night. (laughs) (laughs) A really, really loud car. Of course. With an engine that probably has not been serviced since like 1965. (laughs) But anyway, tonight we're talking Sangiovese. Uh, what we have here are two different Sangioveses. Elizabeth brought a really, really awesome Brunello de Montalcino. And I have also here the Salvatore Vineyards Sangiovese, uh, which was made following Brunello de Montalcino minimum protocol. And they actually uh, were more or less probably made about the same way and are at the same price point, both $80 bottles. So it's going to be a fun comparison Uh, We've got two glasses of each in front of us, and then we've got the rest of the bottle decanting over there um, against the sky, where it hopefully should uh, get us some nice photos uh, for this podcast later. And if not, then uh, I'll figure something out tomorrow. So, let's talk about the Brunello first. And you said you looked at these both through the... We're sitting in the dark, by the way, so it's kind of hard to do the hold it against the surface... But it's got that, you know, garnet shade that I would expect from a, a Brunello. Yeah, it's got a real depth to it, too. Oh, you're right. This aroma is to die for. It looks like there's some crystals on the rim. Yeah, there's definitely some crystals. Can you see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what does that mean? I don't know. Just some little... Nothing significant, I'm sure, but it'll be interesting. I'm getting a lot of... uh, This wine was extremely highly rated. I mean, whew, my goodness. 94 points wine spectator, 94 points wine enthusiast. Yeah, this is not a laughing wine, uh, laughing matter, really. Uh, We weren't able to get a rating uh, from Jason's uh, Sangiovese, unfortunately, but... uh, Womp womp. I love the aroma of this wine. It just smells like fresh air, you know? Yeah. I'm getting almost like a sea, a seashore scent uh, in, in as a secondary character. I'm also getting a lot of herbaceousness and sort of the eucalyptus mint character, along with, of course, the, the cherry, plum, a little bit of cedar sandalwood Sangiovese always sounds so simple when you describe it but I, I found as a wine writer it's it's kind of frustrating to capture the satisfaction of Sangiovese 
I think another thing that's hard to capture as a writer with Sangiovese is just how beautifully it pairs with food. And we yeah. haven't tasted any food with this yet, but I'm so excited. We've got prosciutto and brie and manchego and all kinds of olives and just yummy things to taste with this. I could just smell this wine all night. Hmm. You have to taste it. Oh my goodness, this is so delicious. Mm. Oh, it's very old world. I mean, it tastes like rocks, you know? It's yeah. got that kind of, which sounds unpleasant when you say it out loud, but it tastes delicious because it's, it's like got all this fruit. And dry earth yeah. that you're planting in and brambly rambly cherry and raspberry and a little bit of blackberry and mulberry in there maybe even some bilberry and uh surprisingly short finish though oh my gosh i don't think it's short at all maybe it's I'm got just... a lot of subtle you're, it's got a lot of subtle flavors that are just hanging out all over my palate oh my gosh it's absolutely fantastic Mm. This may be my new favorite wine. I'm getting... Okay. Really nice acidity, too. It's also really nice balanced tannins. which just coat the tongue smoothly. Mm-hmm. Just perfectly. It's. I can see why it's scored so highly because yeah. it's so perfectly balanced. Yeah, this is this is a really fun vintage. Um, the sit the finish kind of hangs. There's a lot of retro nail, uh, retro nasal rather, character on the finish. So if. You, you kind of got to breathe it in almost. Um, but I'm getting a little bit of sandalwood, cedar, the, that stony character, all that rambly brambly. Mm-hmm. Which, weirdly enough, makes me want to quote and sing Johnny Cash right now. Rambler, the brambler, that <laughs> something, something, sooner or later, Sangiovese's going to find you. Sooner or later, Sangiovese's going to find you. And there's my air acoustic guitar I may need a life <laughs> <laughs> this is just delicious and I'm tempted to taste some food with it but I don't want to taste food with it until we've tasted the Salvatore yeah so this was made from Sangiovese Grosso sourced from Zarpara um ah. Wilcox ABA yeah Zarpara we found is producing some of the best uh According to Jason, what he thinks is some of the best Sangiovese grapes in the state. And it's always lovely and beautiful. Um, 30 months in a new French oak barrel, or a couple of new French oak barrels. Then it went bottling and went under bottle conditioning, and he's sitting in bottle. Mm-hmm. Uh, for six months. So again, following the minimum requirements for Benello de Montalcino, which Elizabeth will... 
recite to you uh, right now. I'm trying to find them. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Where did they go? There we are. Okay. So aging for Brunello, minimum four years, including two years in barrel and four months in bottle, which obviously doesn't add up to four years. So that means you can age it however you want to age it, three and a half years in barrel and six months in bottle or vice versa to make sure that you've got the right combination. And I love the process. It's called disciplinaire. <laughs> That's the name of this aging process, production process. So, and there's Brunello, and then there's also Reserva. And it has to be 100% Sangiovese. So, both these wines are 100% Sangiovese. Nothing blended with them at all. Which, uh, in Chianti, usually you're blending in, well, historically, before the, the 80s and 90s, it was... Uh, uh, Sangiovese, Colorino, and Malvasia Bianca. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they allowed other red grapes like Merlot or Cab Sauv. Uh-huh. One of the most interesting Tuscan wines I've had was actually 100% Colorino. Uh, I had it at um, Casimir's one night. It was really good. Uh, it reminded me a lot of this Brunello, except darker and far more tannic. So this one has got more, more of a cool nose. Yes, definitely. That's what I meant. I mean, when I said it smelled like fresh air, you know what it really smells like? Like a rainstorm. A rainstorm you know, next that... to some mint. Yeah. And it's also got a little bit of that Wilcox dust earth character too. It does, except it's far from Wilcox. Oh, I've got the, the Salvatore in my hand. Well, the only sad thing about this wine is I'm reading the tasting notes and it says it's best in 2019. It's not 2019 yet. I mean, we're, we're almost, we're over halfway there. Yeah, I know, but it's not <laughs> quite 2019. Yes, but sometimes you got to crack open a bottle early and decant it, which is... And hopefully the decanter does it for us. Yeah, so we're going to... <laughs> not that this wine is lacking in any way as far as I'm concerned. No, it honestly, I... I I am very curious to see if it really needs a decanter because I think that it's tasting really glorious now. Spectacular. Oh, it's just wonderful. And I keep imagining it with all these wonderful foods, but like usually I'm imagining, you know, an Italian wine with pasta. I'm not no, this picturing is beef. this with pasta. Yeah. Like a really savory beef roast. Perfect cut. <laughs> I think if I wanted to pair this wine with a cigar, I would go with um, either Leaf by Oscar Corojo or, or an Ashton Symmetry, I think, would work really well. You know, this wine is so delicious, and I keep sipping it. And I was listening to a podcast as I was driving up here, um, Jeff Kruth. I'm not familiar with his podcast. He's the guy who's part of um, Guildsome. Okay. And he does these wonderful podcasts. 
and he was talking about he was talking with a winemaker and the winemaker was talking about they made this oh the winemaker from oh oh i'm sorry i'm drawing a blank on the name anyway it's a famous winery that we've all heard of <laughs> and he makes syrah and he was talking about how when he was making this syrah and you know sipping it with people it was so delicious and they just kept sipping it and suddenly the bottle would be gone that's what this wine reminds me of. Yeah. Because suddenly my glass is nearly empty already. Because <laughs> I that's keep why sipping I, it. That's why I very consciously put that glass <laughs> over there. That was smart. As, as far away from me to where I actually have to physically move my body to, to get to it. Okay. So, so now we're going to try the... Salvatore the Vineyard Sorrel. Mm. Uh, best Sangiovese in Arizona. Uh, as declared by the uh, AWGA Arizona uh, Republic Competition. But the nose in this one is so much cooler than... Um, oh my gosh. This is spectacular. Mm-hmm. I think it could do with a little bit more age as well. But I feel it's like this really one delicious. actually needs more age than uh, the Brunello. Because I feel like this one still has a little bit more tan in. Well, it feels like I, the flavors are fantastic. This is not to shortchange this wine at all. But it feels like it's got flavors that are just a little bit not quite together yet yeah like if they were they had been in the bottle together a little longer then suddenly the flavors would all come together perfectly but it is so close to perfect that i don't know that it really matters we're really nitpicking you yeah. know because this is really well delicious. that's what the, the supposed experts and critics and stuff that are putting scores on the stuff are doing too they're they're <laughs> nitpicking isn't uh. that you I don't put scores on my wines. I know, but you're an expert. Well, <laughs> I drink enough to pretend I am. <laughs> this is so delicious. But it has like a... If this was a seashore, or I should say if the last Brunello was a seashore, this one makes me think of standing by Bitter Creek on uh, a wet monsoon storm next to the patch of wild mint that grows there. It's just... Yeah. So much more minty and eucalyptus-y, I think, than, yeah, I think uh, so too, yeah. than the Brunello. It's much more full-bodied. Oh, I shouldn't say full-bodied, full-flavored. Yeah. That's probably a better way of saying well, it. Well, they're both full, I would say, pretty full-bodied wines for, for San Giovese, definitely. Yeah. And I... it's not like a cab or a tanat where it's just like, you know, walloping you upside the face with tannins and weight. But, you know, it's it's it works out. He goes to the gym. <laughs> oh my gosh. These two side by side. Yeah, go back. It's worth it. What really stands out on the Italian wine is the herbal flavors. Yeah. Just this perfectly balanced palette of herbs that you taste. It's almost like a, a mint, tarragon, coriander. Mm hmm. Um, Oregano, definitely. Oregano, fennel. <laughs> uh, on the Arizona, I'm getting more earth. Um, cilantro. Mm -hmm. A little more fruit. Yeah, a little bit more fruit. Which is sort of New World characteristic. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting because, you know, Jason was kind of more thinking of, of an old world style, which is the case with most of the Salvatores, really. Yeah. The only true new world style wine on the Salvatore flight is the, the Reserve Chardonnay, because that's uh, evoking that sort of Napa 
uh-huh. oaky, buttery style. Okay. The one thing these two wines totally have in common with each other is this just rocky taste of earth. Yeah. I mean, and it's so powerful. But the the earth is slightly different in character. Like, I I know this is maybe me being semantics or me having been spent a lot of time in college looking rocks. Um, <laughs> minor. But for me, I get a more chalky character, like limestone or chalk, on the Arizona Sangiovese, like chalky dust. And on the Brunello, I'm getting a, a sort of almost basalty black pepper earth. Uh, and I don't know anything about the geology of, of the Brunello region. And I, had I been thinking, I should have looked that up before we started. But I can... I have a laptop with me. I have a phone. <laughs> Slow clap. Geology of Brunello. You know, it's easy to find lots of people who have rated this wine, lots of lots of articles about people who've rated this wine, but I still have as yet to find the Licini website. <laughs> ah. Oh. Oh. This will be a fun... So I just ended up downloading uh, something from the 32nd International Geological Congress. Geology tasting and wine mapping in central Italy. And there is no... Oh, I should have turned my phone on silent. I'm a, a doof. Um... Well, everybody and their brother is raving about this wine. I mean, I'm on, what is it? My fifth page of ghoul notes. And everything's like a rave review. I can see why, because it's absolutely delicious. Yeah. Ah, here we go. Montalcino, only 24,000 hectares wine. Only 2,000 are cultivated as vineyard, and only 1,200 of these are for Brunello DOCG wine. The territory is a quadrilateral zone limited by the Orchia and Ombrone rivers and by the Asso Creek. Square base pyramid, besides each have a different explosion of some numbers. Aha! The geology of the territory has many different lithologies. Most of the territory consists of Ligurid units, a Argilia Palatome, Jaspers, and Ophalitic sandstones from late Jurassic to Cretaceous in age. The city of Montalcino is built on pure Forte sandstone and the San Fiore unit, which are turbidic calcinorites from late Cretaceous to Eocene in age. There is also a thin strip of Magiano Lake Oglacine and Lacustrine trays, which are from the Mycenaean age. 
and marine clay is Pliocene in age. So what we're seeing here is a lot of sea rock and coastal sandstones. Um, um, versus Wilcox, which is not like that at all. I mean, you have the uh, the playa there in, in that ancient lake bed, but it's not like an ocean down there. I mean, you get some pieces of sandstone from the ancient sea that are eroded down from the Chiricahuas and the Dos Cabezas, but seashore and ancient seabed is not the big thing in Wilcox, by and large. It's alluvial soils. There is a lot of calcareous character in Caliche, um, but it's not like limestone. Huh. Uh, at least if if I'm interpreting this uh, technical thing uh, into lay speak properly, which maybe I'm not, but you know, who knows? Uh, if there's any geologists listening to this who also like wine, feel free to email me and correct me, uh, or not your call. Uh, if you have better things to do, like papers. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, but in Wilcox, that there's that alluvial sediment in the Wilcox bench, which Sarpar is on itself. It's the shoreline of ancient Lake Cochise. Uh-huh. Uh, so you've got a lot of clays and a lot of soils and a lot of alluvial character that's been mixed in because of the ancient shoreline. Uh, and I think that that character is reflected in the earthy... The earthy characters within this wine are slightly different. It's like caliche and dust versus limestone and, and sandstone and black pepper. I think that's something you can definitely say about Arizona wine. You can totally taste the dirt in Arizona. Had I been thinking, uh, I wouldn't have finished off uh, the bottle that will be the next uh, review on the blog. Not when this is posted, but when this is being recorded, which is uh, the... Uh, Edge of the Vine Sangiovese from here in the Verde. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got a definite uh, lighter character, uh, almost like licking flint Wow! on that one. Uh, a flint and gravel and black pepper versus the chalky character and the, and the dusty character of these two. I just realized these are both so delicious. I haven't eaten a bite yet. Yes, yeah, so we should see which <laughs> pairs with each thing. There's prosciutto, there's... I'm going to grab first uh, the pasta salad. Hmm. And you can... I'm going right for the prosciutto. It spoke to me. Eat me. Eat me. (laughs) Eat me! Oh dear, I'm almost done with my Brunello glass. Mm. Oh my goodness. This is just such a delicious wine. And it pairs so perfectly with these lovely Italian appetizers we have. We've got, and I can't pronounce it to save my life. Some beautiful olives from Olive Mill. I'm going to sneak one of those. 
Can you pronounce this? Maybe. Carignola? Oh, I don't Cerignola? think that, that sounds closer. <laughs> That's probably, yeah, Carignola would be ancient Greek. My problem is I'm really good at pronouncing things in ancient ways, but when I see <laughs> modern things and say them that same way, people look at me like, what? Mm. You know, the funny thing is, I used to absolutely hate olives. Mm. Until I went to Greece about nine years ago. And all of these monasteries I visited had their own olives. And we had them with, you know, every meal at the monastery. And I was just like, oh, these are amazing. And now I know why I hate uh, olives that I get in a can and, and on my sandwiches. And, <laughs> and here in the U.S. is because they're crappy olives. Mm. And that's why I love the olives from Olive Mill so much. Every single one of them is delicious. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the olives from Greece. Hmm. And it pairs beautifully with both of these wines. Indeed. Hmm. If you would be so kind as to pass me some prosciutto. Thank you. That's a beautiful thing about Sangiovese in general is that it just pairs with anything you throw at it. <laughs> you want well, a wine with the steak? Here's a Sangiovese. You want... Oh, did you see the shooting star? Mm-mm. I was looking at this lovely pasta. It's delicious. <laughs> um, and if you want a wine that you know you can sit and not have any food with, there's your Sangiovese. You want a pizza with your wine, Sangiovese. Mmm. This pasta is fantastic. It's got fresh basil and sun-dried tomatoes it's and delicious it pairs perfectly with our sangiovese from italy and arizona mm -mm -mm. now from what everyone i've been talking to and all this is all talked about by and large on the uh, entry of the chateau tumbleweed uh to the vine sangiovese uh because i've started a uh, examination, uh, perhaps a little bit overly critical of, uh, what people, the different grapes that people say are the best red grape in Arizona, because everyone is giving a different answer, uh, versus everyone has an answer for best white grape, but, oh, it's Malvasia. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of looking at, a, at, at it for a very definition of best, and that's talked about, uh, on the blog, but in terms of farming, Sangiovese seems to be fairly easy. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you do get some rot issues, but uh, interestingly, Kent Callaghan uh, was saying that he doesn't think that 
the best grape for Arizona has been nailed down yet. Mm-mm. And it's probably something that hasn't really been explored much. And he thinks it's not going to be a very common varietal either. Which I am okay with. However, I think Sangiovese is a good grape for Arizona. I would say so too, because the um, Salvatore totally stands up right next to this ninety-four rated, point, yeah, <laughs> highly rated Italian Sangiovese. I, I I honestly don't see how a critic could score it much lower than that ninety-four point mm-hmm. benchmark. Mm-hmm. You know, the lowest I could see them going is if they're being really nitpicking, eighty-nine or ninety. It's interesting how the uh, the goat cheese that we're tasting changes the flavor of the wine. That's the first, because the olives were a perfect match. I need to try that, actually. Well, I shouldn't say changes the flavor of the wine, but it j- kind of changes my impression of it on, the impression that I have of the wine on my palate. Maybe because, of course, cheese sits on your palate, whereas the other food... When it goes... Not only that, cheese has all those lipids and and stuff that change how the wine will react on your on your palate as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it brings it makes it more tannic. I feel it's funny actually. It it also makes it smoother. I mean, it's really a smooth wine anyway. But I mean. Oh, it's a magical combination, actually. It tastes delicious. Mmm, a marriage made in heaven. Speaking mm-hmm. of, I think it's time to uh, pour ourselves some glasses from the decanted bottles. Oh, so we can, well, probably a good thing since we're pretty much empty. So okay. why don't you finish that last sip? Okay. And I will uh, bring those over. Oh, Excuse me. Very polite. Actually, (laughs) I probably shouldn't pour it from the glass. If you could hand me your Arizona glass. So this is the Arizona? It's the one that says S. Or Salvatore. Make sure I got it right yet. Salvatore. So I'm really curious about your pours. You pour so perfectly. Well, I mean, it, to be fair. it's hard to hard to imagine how more perfect it could be. They're absolutely exactly the same. It would same. also help if I poured some for myself, right? Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he pours them perfectly as he forgets pouring for himself. <laughs> but mine is perfect. <laughs> to be fair, I think one of the, the main reasons for my quote-unquote perfect pours is five years of time in a tasting room. Uh, that probably has something to do with it. That is a lot of pouring. <laughs> so you get uh, some practice. Yeah. 
So the gal at Dos Cabezas is like you. She'll have 30 people at the bar. And she'll pour everybody exactly two ounces. The, the it new, really is the amazing. The new woman? Um, I can't remember She's her. not the new lady. This lady's always been there. Oh, um, I can't remember her name for the life of me. I want to say her name is Karen, but I could be wrong. You could be, and I can't remember her name either, so... Those are not even... Boy, they're darn close. There we go. So I got this beautiful decanter at a yard sale that has these grape vines on it. And uh, it came with a set of four glasses. And uh, while they were wrapping it up, one of them broke, and they're like, Oh, oh, I actually poured some in the pasta there. (laughs) I don't think the pasta will suffer. But they're like, oh, no, we, we broke this one. Do you still want it? And I'm like, uh, I'm buying the set for the decanter, so yes. Oh, we'll knock off a couple bucks for it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> this is really pretty spectacular if you think about it. I mean, have you been to Brunel, been to Montalcino? No, I've actually not been. I have been. And it's not unlike sitting on the top of the hill in Jerome. It's actually really similar. It's a big old steep hill. And you, you know, wind your way around to get to the top of it. And then there's, you know, all kinds of lovely places where you can sit and sip wine and and eat tasty appetizers and watch a beautiful view. Exactly like the view we're looking at here. That sounds phenomenal, actually. So let's try these before we do any of the food. Okay. So these have been decanted for about... And they still have that same heady... About 33 minutes. Aroma. Mm-hmm. 30 to 50 minutes. Same heady aromas. Nothing changed there. I feel like there's a few more new characters in it, though. Just lurking the shadows like I'm getting a sort of like a, a violet or, or lavender character lurking at the edges I, I feel like it's definitely more floral now and I feel like that fruit is more sweet smelling mmm tannins have dropped off it's it's really savory and bright oh my and gosh. fruity I get that. I get the floral character that you were describing more on the taste. I definitely get it on the taste, though. And I, I didn't taste any floral on it before. So, yeah, that's definitely something that came out with decanting. Mmm. This is an absolutely spectacular wine. We do have crackers here, by the way, so I know we keep eating this meat and cheese all by itself, but there are actually crackers we can have with Eh. it. It has gluten. Gluten is the latest health craze we're supposed to be anti. (laughs) Supposedly, I don't know. I also have no strong feelings one way or the other. Um, 
about gluten, although some people do. But uh, what I will say is that Brunello is damn frickin' tasty. <laughs> mm -hmm. Let's see how Jason's has held up. Still that bright mint eucalyptus. I do get more depth from the aroma. I mean, it's the same aromas, but I get more depth from the aromas. Yeah. They're, they're more intense and, and slightly different octaves almost. Mm -hmm. you know, to, to use a musical term. You know... I think the decanting benefited the Salvatore significantly because what I was describing that I thought would probably get a little better with age, kind of how the flavors, bringing the flavors together. Yeah, it's become very, very much better integrated. Decanting definitely got you there. I mean, it's just delicious. Oh, yummy. This is such a treat. <laughs> these delicious, delicious cheeses with these delicious, delicious wines. It really doesn't get any better than this. Oh, with a full sky of stars. Yeah, no moon <laughs> right now, which is pretty awesome. I'm hoping to get some nice star trails in the uh, photos for the for this podcast, but we shall see... Uh, one of the pictures is developing right now. Or, well, I guess developing is the better best word I can think of for it because uh, the f camera is cogitating right now and then I'll try one more photo after this one. It's amazing how you can totally see the Milky Way from here. Yeah, and I, I you know, I remember growing up in Phoenix and you could see some of that. Um, but that is all gone by the wayside down there sadly i know when i was a little kid we lived in way well it was way north scottsdale at the time now it's the middle of scottsdale we lived at scottsdale and shea and there wasn't a soul in the area except other people who had horses like us we literally drove 20 minutes to the nearest grocery store because that's how far in the middle of nowhere we were. And you looked up at the sky and it looked just like this. Here. See the Milky Way and all the stars and just beautiful. Now you're lucky to see two stars. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's so bright. There's so many houses now and it's really different. And you know, I think about that and I'm not that old. Yeah. My mother's alive and she's quite a bit older than I am. And you know. But that's how fast Phoenix has changed. I mean, I can remember when Comet Hailbop came to visit. And you know, you could see that in my part of Phoenix in Peoria. Mm hmm. I think that was the previous clo closest visit to Mars. Or closest distance to Mars in the sky than last month. 
But, uh, and you can see it. And I think that if I tried that now, uh, you wouldn't. Oh, these wines are both so delicious. Indeed. I'm really hard-pressed to say which one of these two would be my favorite, because they're, they're both equally good in very different ways, in different flavor profiles. Like, uh, the, the Brunello has a lot of brighter fruit. Um, sort of cherry, strawberry, raspberry. And the Salvatore has got a little bit of darker fruit, like, fruit, like black cherry and plum and a little bit of anise but they're both good wines which is kind of funny in a way because you would think that um new world wine would be the brighter fruit yeah that's true what's also kind of eerie is you can see the glow from the platypus fire Oh my goodness, you sure can. Wow. Okay, so that's something you wouldn't see sitting on the top of the hill in Italy. No. Wow. I think the other thing that tells you that one of the differences between Italy and, and um, Arizona is... Oh, look, the flames are starting to flare up over there. Yeah, it's it's pretty frightening, actually. Um, but another thing that's really the difference between these two wines, which is also indicative of the climate, is that there's a lot of earth in the Italian wine, but there's a lot of herbs and kind of organic flavors yeah. as well. In the Arizona wine, it is a lot of earth. I mean, And not as much of that herbal carol. And earth, yeah. Because... Um, the growers here, they don't have as much organic stuff in the soil. Yeah. You know, they're just, they've got soil, dirt, rocks. <laughs> well, I bet also in Brunello there's some sort of cover crop between the vines too. Yeah? Which Arizona has not nailed yet. Well, partly because a lot of the problem with cover crop in Arizona is water. Okay, so in Arizona in the winter, there's not much rain. So that means you have to actually water the cover crop. So to water the cover crop, you almost need a whole different irrigation system. Yeah. So you've put in this very expensive irrigation system to water your vines. Now you've got to put in a whole nother irrigation system to water a cover crop. I don't know anybody in Arizona who's been willing to invest the money to do that yet. The only it, place I can think of that could do it offhand would be... Um, What's his name um, down in Camp Verde? Ignacio at uh, Clear Creek. Has he put in a cover crop? No, but he could because he's got water rights and That's does right. drip and does uh, flood irrigation. So theoretically, he could do a cover he's crop the one there. To do it. We need to go talk to him. <laughs> Maybe I, I think I heard the last time I visited, and this was whew, wow. It has been a long time since I visited Clear Creek. That was about three years ago. He was talking about planting winter wheat in Durham wheat. 
uh-huh. between the rows for, for a winter cover crop. But I don't know if he actually did. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping to interview him for the book soon, so stay tuned. Yeah, I'd be curious to know. How is the book coming along? We're moving along. It takes a long time to write all that stuff. Oh, boy. And I, I kind of got to... A, um, I've been working on Sonoida. Um, it's just next in the alphabet. <laughs> so I'm working on Sonoida. And um, I got to Gordon Dutt. And interviewing Gordon Dutt was so much fun. Because he's so much fun to talk to. And he's entertaining and sharp as a wit. I mean, just amazing. And I walked away from that interview thinking, boy... All I have to do is just type the words from the interview and I've got the story because it was so much fun talking to him. And then I sat down and, you know, kind of looked at my notes and looked at all the words from the interview and I realized I have zero story. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have to do homework on this story. (laughs) But I mean, he gave me all the material for the homework. I just have to go do the homework. So that's right in the middle of what I right what I'm right in the middle of right now. So digging into I'm literally driving down to the state of Arizona library because you can't find this in like a regular library. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to the state of Arizona library to dig into their files and kind of dig out all this information from his research. And I mean, it's just amazing what he put into yeah. figuring out that you could grow grapes in Arizona. I would love to, to chat with that man, but. Oh, he is such a treat. It's a challenge to reach him though, because he doesn't hear well. So yeah. he, does things through other people so you have to work through all these other people to get to him and it's not because he's trying to be distant or anything like that he just can't hear yeah so but oh boy he is brilliant and knows the history obviously knows the history of arizona wine because he was in the heart of making it indeed yeah and being a a geologist by trade, he would know a lot about the the geologic history of Arizona wine too, which is something I've tried to, to touch upon here and there uh, in the blog as well. Here's some. Oh, also thank solid. you. And now Brunello infused. <laughs> and um, I think that's what's so fascinating about him, and his, he really focuses on terroir more than probably anybody I've ever spoken to, even though everybody talks about it. It's his, like, in his gut to focus on terroir because it's in his gut to focus on the earth because his background is a soil scientist. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Sangiovese and Sonoida, Kent was also saying that it just... uh, Buds out too early to really grow in Sonoida. Hmm. Um, just not a good grape for that location. Uh, but it does do well in the Verde and obviously mm-hmm. in the Wilcox AVA. Well, as we sit here on top of the hill in Jerome, sipping this lovely Sangiovese feeling like we're in Italy it probably would grow really well right here on the hill if anybody had the right piece of of land and could grow it 
You know, I am actually really surprised Maynard is not growing it in the Judith block, in all honesty. I mean, he's got Nebbiolo and Ionico, uh, mm-hmm. and Tempranillo and Malvasia. Three out of those four are actually you're right Italian. And he's pretty focused on Italy because he's Italian history. Although I think what he's next planning to grow in there is Norello Mescalese. Uh, he really wants to bring that to Arizona from from my limited conversations with him uh, at the AVA. Mm. Um, Wine Fest. Which is a grape I'm not super familiar with. I've only had two vintages of Norello Mescalese mm-hmm. my entire life. One was. No, actually, I have three. Uh, the first one was horrible. Uh, the other two, though, were really, really stellar. Yeah? So I, it's a, I, I want to experience that grape a little bit more. Uh, it's from uh, Sicily, I think. If I remember correctly. Where is it? Southern Italy. I want to say it's a Sicilian grape. Because I think the, one of the ones I had was from Etna itself. Like the slopes of Etna. What you looking for? Should I look it up? Sure. Sicilian? Okay. I, at least I think it is. I could be wrong. Nerd that I am, I can't help myself. I mean, I could be less lazy and actually go inside and pick up the big giant red wine book, but eh. <laughs> that would involve standing. Exactly. <laughs> Amazing red. Norello Mascalese. We're going to go to Wine Folly. I actually really like Wine Folly. I do too. She's not always accurate. We found some flaws in her um, maps and stuff like that. But she's obviously really dedicated, and yeah. I think those those are it's pretty tweaky the things that we find. Yeah, like if the river's here or there. I mean, seriously, does it really matter that much? Aha! Uh-huh, I was right. You're right. It's Sicilian light body red wine, primarily glows on the slopes of Mount at primarily glows. Primarily crows on the uh, slopes of Mount Edna. I think what's really amazing to me, there are so many grape varieties. There's more than 5,000 grape varieties. There's about 1,200 or 1,300 or something, somewhere in there that are are made into wine. Okay, 1,300. Most people know Cabernet Sauvignon Chardonnay. Well, yeah, most people know like three <laughs> at Maybe best. Pinot Noir, right? <laughs> God, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked for a Pinot... I would have paid off my student loans. Oh, I love Pinot Noir. Don't complain about Pinot Noir around me. It's one of my favorites. I've had some good ones. I've had some aggressively mediocre ones. I've had some aggressively horrible ones. Um, I have to say my opinion of Pinot is, by and large, uh, you have to pay over $25 to get something decent. Oh, that's so sad. No, it means that you you got to spend and splurge on the quality. You really do, actually. For, for Pinot. It's not like anything else. Um, and I didn't know that because I didn't like Pinot for a long, long time. And um, I just figured it wasn't my cup of tea, you know? You know that uh, Sonoina Vineyards did, slash is doing, slash is releasing, 
a uh, method champenois pinot noir rosé, right? Are they really? I didn't know that. Oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to say that. Sorry, Lori, if I'm not supposed to say that. Uh, but I bought the bottle when I was down there for my birthday, so y- your fault? <laughs> what a treat. What um, a treat. So I'm looking forward to, to trying that, because, uh, you know, Pinot Noir is never going to be Arizona's top, even in the top ten category, I think, by and large. But I think you can do potentially some very fun things with it here in Arizona. I think so, too. You know, um, have you ever had... I'm so sorry. I'm Names are falling apart on me today. It's the winery that's in Chino Valley. I was the one who told you about that vineyard oh, in Chino Valley. yes. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I, I I've har- I fucking harvested Pinot there two years ago. <laughs> okay, so we have to tell people what the name of this winery is. Del Rio Springs. Del Rio Springs. Uh, speaking of which, they also have done a Method Champenois of Phoenix as a varietal. Ooh. Uh, which I have a case, well, now half of a case of. Uh, I've been giving those bottles away like candy. They gave me a case... Uh, of it for for originally it was supposed to be for the the wedding that never happened, um, but uh, they decided oh we, you clearly need this more than than more than ever now <laughs> so so I've been sharing bottles here and there with people just to kind of be like hey this is what's going on in Chino oh you should try this and it's really quite fun so delicious it really is. But on that note, we should close this out and just simply relax and drink and enjoy the stars. And enjoy this fabulous wine. Indeed, so... Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs>